Hello from the West Side Church of Christ. My name is Todd Spath, and we are live streaming our service this morning. Uh, really happy that you are joining us. We've got family and friends, I think, that are um, tuning in today, and we're really grateful for you, and we want you to be comforted. I know you're home right now with a little coffee, a little tea, maybe an enchilada. That's okay. And um, we're going to have a great time together uh, with one another um, as we look at the Word this morning. So if you're tuning in for the first time, we have been in the middle of an Exodus series, and we're kind of right in the middle of it. Today's, where you've parachuted in, is the Ten Commandments, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But um, we know we're in a difficult time, and we just trust and pray that God's Word really ministers to you this morning. So without further ado, we're going to jump on in here. But before we hit our slides, I do want to give a shout out to Mark Shump. Um, we're all praying for your dad. Mark, we know he's uh, very sick right now. You and your family are really special to us and we're praying for them. And um, I would be remiss to not wish my mother happy birthday. Today is her birthday. Mom, you're a special, beautiful woman and um, hope you feel encouraged today. Okay, so as we get into our slides this morning, uh, again, we're going to be, we're right in the middle of the book of Exodus, and these people were facing a hard time. And today, we're facing a hard time with this coronavirus. Uh, we've been shut in. Um, our economy is hurting. We have people's health uh, hurting. Uh, it's a really strange time for us as a people. Um, but we trust that there is a message in this, and it is a really important time for us to reflect and think about our lives, uh, our spirituality. Uh, how do we live in these times? Hopefully, we say a few things today that will help us address that. I want to point out a quote from Mandy Hale. I like this. Trust the weight. Embrace the uncertainty. Enjoy the beauty of becoming. It's really difficult for our thoughts not to be racing into the future and fearing or regretting the past and what's happened. We're right in the middle of this time, uh, again, similar to what the Jews are experiencing as they're in the middle of the desert. No homes, um, no solid food supply, very little shelter. Just a lot of walking, a lot of waiting. Wow, that shapes you. And uh, I think this is a good quote for us to be thinking about as we um, go forward today. Um, today we're going to talk about the title of uh, the message is The Cure for the Curse. Cure for the Curse. We're going to talk about three things. Covenant, and we're going to talk about curse, and we're going to talk about the cure. And uh, I think that's a, if we can get through those today, that'd be great. So first off, let's jump into a little bit of covenant talk. This is a um, really important concept for the Bible. Maybe you're a first-time person or you don't have a lot of familiarity with uh, the story of the Bible, what's going on in the Bible. One of the things that happens early in the book of Genesis is God introduces covenants. And we've got four different kinds of covenants. Um, a covenant signifies a special relationship, something significant about this relationship. It has a covenant. 
the closest thing we really have today, maybe a, a couple of things, is marriage. You make a, a covenant vow to the one you love, forsaking all others till death do his part. Sickness and health, right? Um, it's a covenant relationship. It's a special relationship. So in the Bible, we see four different kinds. We see God in creation. And in uh, Genesis 8 and 9 with Noah, he says, this is a sign of the covenant that I have with you, the rainbow in the sky. He's got a covenant with creation. Um, God and man, God and humans. Um, God says this to Abraham. He makes a covenant with him in Genesis 12. Again, in um, 17, he sort of reaffirms his covenant with him, and he gives him a sign of the covenant. It's called circumcision. We don't need to see any pictures of that today. Um, there's also human-to-human covenants. There's uh, David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, special relationships. And there's human and creation um, Romans 8, Paul says, the earth is uh, groaning, waiting for the sons of man to be revealed. And we have a covenant with the earth. How do we take care of this place? So keep that in mind as we're going forward. Then there's layers of covenants throughout the Bible. So they start in Genesis. Now here in Exodus, we're at the Levitical covenant, God's God's going to make a covenant with the Jews through Moses and the Ten Commandments. We're not going to spend a ton of time on those today. I'm just going to sort of show them to you real fast. Most of you are familiar with them. The first five are this. I am the Lord, and you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Two, do not take my name in vain. Three, to keep the Sabbath. Four, to honor your father and mother. Five, to not kill. Six, to not commit adultery. Seven, to not steal. Eight, to not lie. Nine, to not desire your neighbor's wife. And ten, to not desire your neighbor's things. Those were the Ten Commandments. That's what God wanted in his relationship with the people. Again, he wants to bond with them. He wants to be with them. But there's a covenant. There's things that they need to do to be in relationship with him. It's not just a free-for-all. It doesn't do us any good to get married, but not forsake all others, or um, to not be there in sickness and health, or to be there when you only want to be there. You got it? It's the idea of covenant. God's trying to not put a heavy burden of rules and to make their relationship rulesy, but he is trying to express, hey, this is a special relationship, And so we're going to signify it with a covenant. And, of course, we have these signs of the covenant. And he gets these stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. Okay. So we referred a few sermons ago to the plagues. And the plagues, again, aren't just God chaotically and randomly cursing the Egyptians. Remember all those gods. There's a plethora of gods. And they are all have their own responsibility over things. And so when God turns the Nile red, there's something specific about that. There's a Nile God. And that's God's way of saying, Mm-mm, that's not really your Nile. That's my Nile. And when he turns the sky black, there's a sun God. And God's saying, mm, that's not really your son. That's really my son. 
And all the Egyptian gods, obviously, were deeply embedded into Egyptian culture. And people very much were made to believe and feel that if the gods weren't happy with them, then they were going to be cursed or they were going to live under a curse. And so there is always a great fear, if you were an Egyptian, of being under a curse of one of the gods. They believed that gods maintained life, um, that they were responsible for success and failure, for happy days and bad days, for success and for loss. And they were, you just couldn't go anywhere in their culture and not be aware of their gods. There was a lot of cruelty also with some of these gods. There was human sacrifice. Um, been a number of archaeological digs that reveal, especially with the god of um, Osiris, human sacrifice. Very cruel. But if you live in fear of your god cursing you, you do things like that. The Egyptians believe that if they didn't please the gods again, they would be cursed. That was what their relationship with gods were like. So the Hebrews coming out of Egypt into the desert, it's kind of a detox for them, getting uh, out of Egyptian culture. This is God sort of reintroducing himself to them. It's just going to be me that's your God, and I'm not going to curse you. I want to have a covenant relationship with you. That's what it's supposed to be about. And that's why I think it's still pertinent. That part of it still applies to us today. Um, okay, let's get the next slide. The Egyptians believed that the gods maintained life. Sorry, that's a repeat. Um, let me just hit this bottom section here because it leads us into some New Testament and some Jesus talk for us. One of the problems with the covenant, the old covenant, the Old Testament, the Levitical law, is that for many of the Jews, it, it be, their religion became sort of a legalistic um, relationship with rules. And I think that this became the covenants, their relationship with God, but the legalism became a subsequent curse later in life. And while the Egyptians would have been afraid of the gods cursing them. Later, I think, in Jewish culture, and I think this happens in Christian culture as well, we get afraid that not following the rules is going to curse us. And that's not what our relationship with God is supposed to be about. This brings us to Jesus, and Jesus removes the curse. Many curses that we're looking at today, or things today that could be construed as curses, feels like there's a health curse Economically, we're hurting. Is there a financial curse? I think that makes many of us wonder and fear whether or not we're going to be successful. Is there a curse on success? Some of us are lonely. We're home right now, and our relationships aren't very good. Or we don't have any relationships. Or we don't know what to do with our relationships. Is there a relationship curse? And this is becoming more and more talked about in our culture. But as we sit here today, and many of us are in our homes, we have some people sitting in depression, sitting in anxiety. We have people trying to work out trauma 
for people trying to manage and cope with um, what they believe and feel like is a curse of mental health. And our spirituality, Jesus, faith, hope, and love, that's still our best prescription for um, mental health today. Paul says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone hung on a tree. Jesus right now is removing those curses we just talked about. Is our culture cursed? Are we, are we, um, gonna make it? And I just want everybody to take a deep breath right now and realize, wow, we have the answer to the curse. Jesus takes away the curse, takes away the poison, takes away the, the threat to our very selves. The one that hung on the tree for us removes the curse, brings us back to covenant. I want to be in covenant relationship with him. What does all this mean again? The Christian is always trying to make meaning in life. We're always trying to decide good guys and bad guys, right and wrong, and what is happening. And I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's still too early for us to be interpreting what all this means. I think the more important spiritual practice for us today is to slow down, is to reflect, is to take stock. It's to try and kind of catch up with ourselves. And there's an old Chinese uh, proverbial story that I'm going to read to kind of frame that thought for us. So give me a minute as I read this. It's the old man and the white horse. There's an old parable about an old man and his white horse. In this parable, the old man is a beautiful white horse. He could sell it and amass a large fortune. The old man chooses to keep it in a stable and never sells the horse. His neighbors think he is crazy, telling him there will come a day that the horse is stolen and the man will have nothing. That day came. Waking up one morning, the horse was not in the stable and was nowhere to be found. The man's neighbors were right all along, and they rushed to tell the man he was now cursed because he lost everything. The man's response is profound. Don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That's all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people were offended by what the man said. How can you say this? They asked. It's clear that you're cursed. And no matter what your perspective might be, the old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and that the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? What a fool the neighbors thought. After several days, the horse returned. He'd not been stolen, but ran away. On his return, he brought with him a dozen wild horses. Now the neighbors had to come out and tell the man that he was right all along. In fact, he's a blessed man because he has a whole herd of horses. The man responds again. Once again, you go too far. Say only the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses returned with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You only see a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? 
You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? The man's neighbors found it hard to argue with this. Maybe he's right, they said. But deep down, they knew the old man was wrong. He had one horse. Now he had 13. How how could he not say that he isn't blessed? The old man had a son, his only child. The son went to breaking these wild horses when one of them flung him off. Landing, he broke both of his legs. The neighbors were awestruck at the man's wisdom. He was right. We were wrong, they thought. The old man, being too old to do much on the farm, no longer had his son available to work the land. With no intending the farm, he'd likely lose his income. Not long after this, a war broke out in the man's in the old man's country. All young men were called up to serve in the army, where most would perish, leaving their fathers without sons. This was true for the old man's neighbors who had sons that were to never return home. They went to the old man weeping. You were right. We were wrong. Your son's accident is a blessing. While his legs are broken, you will have many year, more years with him, they said. We will not. Our sons are gone. You're blessed and cursed. And once again, the old man responded. It's impossible to know. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only your sons had to go to war and mine did not. If it's a blessing or a curse, no one's wise enough to know. Only God knows. Thank you for indulging me in the story. It makes me think about us. Are we being blessed or are we cursed? What do we know? Well, we know we're not going to work tomorrow. We know that um, there's a virus in the land. We know that people are afraid. Uh, what's going to happen next? We don't know. But we've got a God that's always refining, always shaping, always pulling, always working pain out of us, always trying to work trust into us. All we know is that we're challenged today. Again, as Christian people, reflect, think, How do we respond to today's challenge? Some of us are going to get sick. That's scary. We don't know, we don't know what that means or what's going to happen. But again, I believe we're in God's hands. He's going to shape us and there's a purpose for whatever happens. And maybe it's my neighbor that gets sick and that opens up a door for me to talk to him or her. Or create something in, with a, with a child and a parent or a husband and a wife. A, a tough conversation to happen that wouldn't otherwise happen. We're just right in the middle of this. We gotta remember to not respond out of fear and uncertainty. Trust the weight. Be in the middle of it. Take a deep breath. Use your senses as we go forward together. Next slide. Jesus gives us these words. They're great. Super encouraging. A time is coming when you'll be scattered, right? Watch this. Uh, Each to your own home. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So now Jesus has come and he's on the scene. And again, he doesn't have very much. He doesn't have retirement. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have children. It's just him. He's just a man. Relationship with God. 
trying to do so much to fulfill his purpose, which is to bring us the final covenant, which is um, this uh, referred to in Luke 22 at the Last Supper. There they are, the twelve and Jesus. Jesus is just about to be arrested and then go to the cross and he leaves him these words. After the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Abraham had a covenant. Moses had a covenant. David had a covenant. And now we've got this last covenant, our covenant with Jesus. What is it? It's a covenant of grace. It's his blood covering our sin, covering our faults, covering our iniquity. Taking the spiritual corona right out of us. We're going to make mistakes every day. We're going to break commandments every day. But he wants us to be in relationship with him. The one thing that a lot of commentators think about the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments is kind of was lacking in love. And Jesus says in reference to the Ten Commandments in Matthew 22, look, the commandments, the whole Old Testament is summed up in two things. He says in Matthew 22, 36, love God and love your neighbor. If you get confused, love God. If you don't know what to do, love your neighbor. What do we do? Love God. Now what? Love your neighbor. Can we ever get enough of that? No, it's always growing. It's infinite. More love of God. More love of neighbor. More taking care of each other. And what we got to remember to do now is, again, to embrace Jesus where he's meeting us at this grace covenant. It's an old covenant. It's built on layers of old biblical texts, lives, experiences, and examples. And this grace covenant is for you right now. It's for me right now. And it's a time for us to re-engage with him and to renew our covenant and to love God to renew our love for our neighbors and for people. It's not a time to be cursing others. It's not a time to be cursing other peoples. It's not a time to be cursing government. It's not a time to be cursing plague. It's a time to be renewing covenant. And I think there's two ways uh, or two things I want to leave you with that I think are really helpful with that. Clarity. Clarity is about thought. Are you thinking well? Slow your thinking down. How much love is in your thinking? We get preoccupied with social media. We get preoccupied with all the stress of the day. Um, A lot of us sports fans today, we don't have a lot of sports to be preoccupied with today. And there's sort of a big hole inside, big emptiness. Clarity. We need clarity How are we thinking? Thinking spiritually. That's invaluable. How do you think spiritually? Come back to covenant. Come back to God. Come back to neighbor. Think clearly about your life. Think clearly about today. Think clearly about your future. Think clearly about your path. Um, Savor clarity of thought. 
It's hard to organize thought. Savor that. You have to slow down, catch your breath, clear your thinking. I think the last one um, is calmness. You want cl- clarity of thought. You want calmness of mind. That's about our emotions. And I referenced them a little bit earlier. Uh, the brain's really good emotionally uh, about doing what? Regretting the past. Gets attached to a lot of our old faults, a lot of our old wounds, a lot of our old hurts, a lot of our old mistakes. And it's hard to get out of that when we regret the past. And there's, uh, it brings up a storm of emotions. And it's also good at forecasting the future, but it's usually the negative part of that. The things we should be afraid of, the things that might happen, uh, bad, the bad things that might happen. We call it catastrophizing. This might happen, and then, then the next bad thing will happen, and then a bigger bad thing will happen. Catastrophizing. And then you lose touch, when you lose contact with the present. And right now, you gotta try and take a deep breath and calm down. And repeat a passage like the Psalm that says, um, um, be still and know that I am God. And you say that and you slow down a little bit more. Be still and know that I'm God. Everybody now together, deep breath and exhale. Be still and know that I am God. And you do that over and over again. It helps. It stimulates the vagus nerve in the back of your brain. Helps slow down your heart. Helps slow down your gut a little bit. Get your senses kind of back on track. With clarity and with calmness. That's our spirituality. That's our spiritual tools that get us back to covenant. That get us back to loving God. That gets us back to loving people that gets us present today. And the Christians, I've always believed the Christians should be, could be, and usually are great in crisis because we're thinking about the people around us and we're usually not as afraid. Let's rise up and remember who we are as a people and that what God is trying to communicate to the Hebrews while they're wandering through the desert with these Ten Commandments the spirit of that is is right here with us today. But it's not in the legalistic following of the Ten Commandments. It's being in this connective relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to leave you with those thoughts and very grateful that you've all tuned in to be with us today. Have a great fellowship and a great time today with one another. Thanks so much. God bless you. God bless the people.